Um, so we're within the, uh, the reach of Purim. You know, Purim is already stretching out its arms and uh, embracing us. So it's already appropriate to begin speaking about the Yom Tif of Purim and Megillah Sester. The Gemara tells us in Masech the Megillah, Andaf Yodalad Amad Aleph, that even though throughout our history we've had hundreds of thousands of Nevi'im, hundreds of thousands of prophets, but nevertheless, there are only 48 Nevi'im who prophesied a message to the Jewish people that is necessary for all generations. The Gemara tells us in Masech the Megillah, Tan Rabbana, the rabbis taught, there were 48 prophets, Besheva Neviyos and seven prophetesses, Yisrael. They prophesied for the Jewish people, and all these Neviyim, they didn't detract from the Torah, they didn't add on to the Torah, right? They didn't make any innovations. They didn't take anything away, they didn't add anything. The only exception, there's only one exception, there's only one innovation that the Neviyim made, says the Gemara Chutzmi Mikra Megillah. The only innovation that the Nevi'im made was Mikra Megillah. Ask the Gemara, my Darush, where'd they get it from? What, they woke up in the morning, they had a cholam, they had a dream, you know. Besides the 613 mitzvot, so you have to lay in the Megillah. Where'd they get Megillah from? Amar Rabbi Ben Karcha. They made a Kavachaymer, right? What's a Kavachaymer? That if something applies in a lenient situation, then certainly it should apply in a more serious situation, right? If I could hit a baseball 100 feet, then uh, Babe Ruth could all certainly hit it 100 feet, right? So that's what a Kavachimer is. So what's the Kavachimer of the Gemara? Says the Gemara, If when the Jewish people, when they left the land of Egypt, right, it was the seventh day, they left the land of Egypt, and what happened? The sea split. What did Klal Yisrael do on the seventh day of Pesach? They sang Shira, they sang Az Yashir. And their situation was going from servitude to freedom. Because after all, what did the Mitzvah want us to do? They wanted to take us back and make us slaves again. They wanted to bring us back, back to the pyramids. And yet, even though it was just bringing us from servitude to freedom, we sang Shira, then from death to life in the time of Haman, where Haman wanted to annihilate and eradicate the Jewish people, certainly we should be obligated to sing Shira to Hashem, Hence, the mitzvah of Mikra Megillah. So if someone were to ask you, what exactly is the mitzvah of Mikra Megillah? The answer is, it's a shira, it's a song. If we sang a song when we left Egypt, which was from servitude to freedom, all the more so do we need to sing a song when we were saved from Haman. And that is the source for the mitzvah of Mikra Megillah. Okay? So if someone asks, where does Megillah come from? Kal v'choymer. In fact, it's not on the sheet, the Chassam Sefer goes so far as to say that reading the Megillah on Purim is biblical. Why? Because if it's derived from a Kavachaymer, a Kavachaymer is a biblical exegesis, right? It's a biblical derivation. It's a, a Torah-mandated way to extrapolate and to learn out from the Torah. So therefore, says the Chassam Sefer, to sing some type of declaration of praise to God on Purim is Da'iraisa. Now you could sing whatever you want. You could sing Shoshana Siyakov, you could sing like Hudim Ha'isa Exactly how to sing it, that's uh, rabbinically mandated. But for there to be some sort of Shira on Purim, says Achsam Soifer, it's Da'iraisa. Okay. So that's the source of Mikra Megillah. 
asked the Gemara, if you're going to make a Kava Chomer from Yitzias Mitzrayim, Ihachi, Halal Nami Neima, so then you should say Halal also. Why don't we say Halal on Purim? Right? We all know on Purim, we don't say Halal. Right? Why don't we say Halal on Purim? We should, you know, make a bracha, in bracha, we should say, you know, the whole Halal. Why don't we say Halal on Purim? The Gemara gives a number of answers. One answer the Gemara gives is we can't say halal for a miracle that takes place out of the land of Israel, right? We know that the miracle of Purim took place in Persia, in Iran. So we don't say halal for a miracle that takes place out of Israel. Ask the Gemara, so then why do we say halal on Pesach? Yitzhak Mitzrayim took place out of the land of Israel. Says the Gemara, before we came into Eretz Yisrael, you could say halal for any miracle that happens anywhere. Once we enter the land of Israel, and you're only allowed to say Hallel for a miracle that takes place in the land of Israel. If you want to know why, look in the Marsha, Masechta Erechen. Okay? Ayin Sham. Another answer the Gemara gives is from Rava. Rava says, you can't say Hallel on Purim, because even though we were saved from Haman, we were still the servants of Achashverosh. And in Hallel we say, Hallelujah Avdei Hashem. You have to be able to declare, we are only the servants of God, we are still the servants of Achashverosh. Says the Gemara, and this is the answer we're going to focus on. Rav Nachman Amar. Rav Nachman said, this is what you said, uh, Bernie, that Amar, Kriyasa Zuhelela, reading the Megillah is Halal. Right? So the question is, why don't we say Halal on Purim? The answer is we do. Because reading the Megillah, in effect, is Halal. Okay? So the Me'iri discusses the following very interesting uh, scenario. The Balkori gets up to the Bima, and you know, he's preparing himself, <clears throat> he's clearing his voice, right? He's gargling the eggs, and he's, you know, he's making sure his voice is in, uh, in full gear. And he turns to the Gavai, and the guy says, what are you talking about? Yeah, what? Where's the Megillah? So the guy says, I'm not laying the Megillah, you're laying the Megillah. Yeah, but you're the Gavai. You put it away last year. So he said, no, I didn't put it away. You're the one who lands. You put it away. And they're arguing. They don't have a Megillah. So they, make, uh, they go to the rabbi. The rabbi doesn't have a Megillah. They make an announcement. Anyone who has a Megillah, run home and get it. No one has a Megillah. So they go from house to house. They knock on the doors. There's no Megillah in the whole city. So now what? Now you should say Hallel. Maybe you should say Hallel. The only reason you don't say Hallel on Purim is because laning the Megillah is Hallel. But if you don't have a Megillah, so then uh, in Tudor you should say Hallel. And in fact, the Me'iri concludes that if you don't have a Megillah on Purim, you need to say Hallel. Malay. In bracha. You have to say Hallel. There's a, a chiv to say Hallel on Purim. The only way to exempt you from Hallel is by reading the Megillah. If you don't have a Megillah, so then you've got to say Hallel. By the way, it's very interesting. The Me'iri was one of the Rishonim. It was discovered in this century. Right? The Me'iri was discovered in the century. For hundreds of years, we had no access to the writing of the Me'iri. The only person who saw the Me'iri was the Chida. Chida traveled to various libraries across Europe, and whenever he saw a comment of the Me'iri that was relevant, he recorded it. And now, when the Me'iri was discovered in this century, we see that the uh, Chida's memory was photographic, because every single word the Chida memorized from the Me'iri is word for word what we found. Okay? So, the, what the Chida wrote 200 years ago in the name of Me'iri, we finally found this century. And the Chida disagrees with the Me'iri. 
And the Chidah says, no, you're right. According to the reason of Rav Nachman, that the only reason you don't say Halal on Purim is because reading the Megillah is Halal. So you're right. If you don't have a Megillah, then what? <coughs> then you'll say Halal. But we don't paskin like Rav Nachman. We paskin like Rava. Rava's reason is that why don't you say Halal on Purim? Because we are still the slaves of Achashverosh. So you can't say the words, Hallelujah, Avdei Hashem. And then, listen to the following. The Sharei Tshuva Paskins, right? If you open up your Mishnah Bura, you look on the top right-hand side, on top of the Mishnah Bura, you have the Ber Hetev. And you look on the left-hand side, you have something called uh, the Sharei Tshuva. <coughs> the Sharei Tshuva writes like this. What's the reason you don't say Halal on Purim? Because reading the Megillah is Halal. That's why you don't say Halal on Purim. Fine. But once you don't say Halal on Purim, even if you don't have a Megillah, you still don't say the Halal. Because Chazal never enacted that there's a mitzvah to say Halal on Purim. In other words, Chazal gave a reason. Chazal said you don't say Halal on Purim. So it doesn't matter what the reason is. Once they said, you don't say Halal on Purim, whatever the reason is, so even if you don't have a Megillah, we don't say Halal on Purim. Okay? But what we, we would like to explore is perhaps a different, a deeper understanding. Why do we not say Halal on Purim? And why is the Megillah a substitute for Halal? Think about it. What's Halal? Halal is you're praising Hashem for the miracle that happened. So could someone tell me, how is reading the Megillah Halal? First of all, we're not thanking Hashem in the Megillah. We're not praising Hashem in the Megillah. We're not honoring Hashem in the Megillah. Hashem's name is not even mentioned in the Megillah. Right? Everybody knows that. that God's name doesn't appear in the Megillah. So how does reading the Megillah exempt you from saying Halal? I mean, it's a story. How could that be Halal? How could we... How, right? The purpose of Halal is to praise God. So if God's name is not mentioned and you're not praising, right? The two key components of Halal are missing from the Megillah. Praise and God. So how could reading the Megillah be a way of saying Halal? Okay. Now it's very interesting, you know, people discuss various dates in the year, uh, especially in commemoration of recent Jewish celebrations and recent uh, miracles that happened to us in the last century. Could you say Halal? Right? And people say, well, it's only Halal. What could be wrong with saying Halal? Well, well let's, let's see what could be wrong with saying Halal. Right, we're talking <laughs> with a bracha, that's for sure not. We're talking about believe bracha. So the Gemara says in the Sechta Shabbos, Amar Mar, look at number four on Daf Kofir Chesam Abes. Amar Mar, Ha-Koyre Halal B'chol Yoim, Ha-Rezem Charefu Megadef. If you say Halal on a regular Tuesday or a regular Wednesday, not only are you not a good guy, not only do you not get reward, you're a heretic. You're not Bikoyres, you are blaspheming and disgracing the name of God. That, that sounds bad, right? That's, that doesn't sound good. Right? It's cr- highly critical of someone who says Hallel on a regular day of the week. So you say, what's wrong? You know, it's Tehillim, it's praise. Why can't you say Hallel on any day? Says the Marsha. Marsha says, let me tell you what the purpose, what the function of Hallel is. Hallel is not, thank you God for the beautiful sunset. Thank you God for photosynthesis. <clears throat> Thank you, God, for the evaporation process, the water cycle. No. You don't say halal for that. You're not allowed to say halal for nature. That's not what halal is for. Halal could only be said to thank God for something which breaks the laws of nature. Says the Marsha. 
Someone who says halal every single day, what is he saying? That thank you God for the natural order of this world. Thank you that the sun rises, the sun sets, I can breathe, digestion, right? That's always circulation. Someone who says halal every day is only declaring that God runs the world through a natural process. Halal is designated for specific days of the year because it's a declaration that God could supersede and change nature. So says in Marsha, if you say halal every day, you're a heretic. You're not bikairis. Because it's as if you're declaring God only guides nature, but He can't supersede nature. That's why to say halal for an event that happened where the laws of nature were not broken, as much hashkacha pratis as we saw, and as much divine intervention as we saw, but if the open laws of nature were not broken, we are not authorized to say halal. That's open and closed Gemara. It's clear. Basmanazem means like this, that every year, this is a, you know, every year when that time of the year comes again, the same um, pu'ula, that um, that hisorus that Hashem gave us at that time is awakened again Basmanazem at this very time. But it doesn't mean that, that the miracle is happening again, literally. But that's an important concept to be aware of. Halal has nothing to do with thanking God for nature. It's specifically designated for something supernatural. That's why if you look in the Gemara and Shabbos, the Gemara and Shabbos says, Why do we say halal on Hanukkah? So you say, halal on Hanukkah? Rabbin biyad ma'atim. No. You can't say halal for military victory. Because it's in with the, as miraculous as, as it may seem, you can't say halal because it's still within the realm of the natural process. Says the Gemara, you know why you say halal? Because of the oil. We don't, you think we care about a little oil lasting eight days? What's the difference? We didn't even need it, right? We could have the Tomos Hutchobet Sibor. The answer is, that small miracle allows us to have a Yom Tif. But without that supernatural miracle, you can't celebrate with halal, right? A natural miracle. Okay. Ah, so Rosh Chodesh, then there's another reason to say halal, and that is Yom Tif, right? That's a separate discussion, right? Because uh, there's a contradiction between the Gemara in um, Erechin and, and uh, the Beis Yosef, right? The Beis Yosef says on the seventh day of Pesach you don't say halal because Masayad Atom Be'yam Atamamim Shira. And the Gemara in Erechin says you don't say halal because it's not Cholik B'Kavon Isayin. So the Shiva Se'akim says we derive from here there are two sources of halal. There's a Chiv because of Yom Tif and there's a Chiv because of the Nes. Tonight we're focusing on the Nes. Okay, but that's just put in parentheses. Okay, that's parenthetical. Fine. So the Marsha says that the reason why we don't say halal every day, the reason why we're not authorized to say halal every day, is because halal is to declare God could break nature. So I'll ask you the following question. How could the Gemara entertain the idea that we're allowed to say halal on Purim? <coughs> Nothing supernatural happened on Purim. No oil lasted eight days. Nothing supernatural. What, what exactly was supernatural? Nothing. That Achashosh made a party? That he invited Vashti to the party? That Vashti didn't want to come? That he killed Vashti? All these things are natural things. That Esther was the most beautiful one, and Achashosh chose Esther, and Esther was um, the queen, and Esther interceded on behalf. There's nothing supernatural. Every isolated event of the Megillah, as it stands by itself, was within, within the guidelines of nature. So how could the Gemara entertain the possibility that you say halal on Purim? After all, we just set forth, you're only allowed to say halal for the supernatural. Yeah, it's the opposite. Just because, you know, um, a small army beats a big army, 
and it's illogical, and it's surprising, and it's almost unbelievable, but it's still within the realm of nature. Nothing, God did not suspend the laws of nature. So if God didn't suspend the laws of nature, how does the Gemara even, how are we authorized to say hello? Okay. So for this we have a major comment of the son of the Vilna Gain. By the way, if anybody is familiar with Sefer Tehillim, one of the chapters of Tehillim is dedicated to the miracle of Purim. Right? Does anybody know which chapter? Chaf Beis. Very good, Josh. Chapter Chaf Right? You know how the shir works, right? <laughs> <laughs> chapter Chaf uh, You probably knew anyway, right? Chaf It says, Lam al ayelas hashachar. By the conductor for the morning star. It says the Gemara, Esther is compared to the morning star. Why? Right? Not the newspaper. The star that comes out in the morning. Right? Esther is compared to the morning star. Why? Just like the morning star is the end of the night, Esther is the last of all the miracles. And in this chapter of Tehillim, we, have, we learn out many, many halachos of what we do on Purim. For instance, it says over there, Ekra le'lokim yoimam belayla velo domia li. Right? From which the Gemara derives in Masechta Megillah. Amare shlokish chayiv adam likrois ha-megillah. Right, you have to say the Megillah twice. By the way, does anybody know which Megillah reading is more important? So whenever you want to know about what something is, do you, right, you say the opposite of what people do, right? So which Megillah reading is more important? Morning, right? If you could only make one, the morning, right? Everyone crowds the night one, right? But really, the Iker laning in the Megillah is the day. That's why even though you make a Shachiyan or nighttime, you have to make it again during the day. Why? Because the main reading of the Megillah is the daytime reading. That's why after the Megillah, what do we say? The Atta Kadosh Yosef Because in Parak Chafez of Tehillim, you have the Pasuk, the Atta Kadosh Yosef And then the, the capital, the Parak says the following I will relate your name to my brothers. Within the congregation, I will say Hallel. Very interesting passage. Six words. Six powerful words. Asapra shimcha liyechai. I will relate your name to my brothers. Within your congregation, I will say halal. So the first thing we have to ask is, but we don't say halal. So what's David Amal saying? We're not saying halal on Purim. And what does he mean? Asapra shimcha liyechai. I will say your name to my brothers. The one thing we don't do in the Megillah is we don't say the name of God. Right? Everybody knows. God's name doesn't appear in the Megillah. You have allusions to God's name. You have Yavai, HaMelech, Haman, Hayoim, Rashi Teva, Yisir Kevavke. You have Seifei Teva, Yisir Kevavke. Who remembers? The Chalzeh, Einenu, Shoi Seifei Teva, Yisir Kevavke. Backwards, or you have Ki Ra'ah, Ki I Love Hayoim, Haram, Eis HaMelech, Yisir Kevavke. Backwards, Seifei Teva is fine. But does God's name appear in the Megillah? No. So what in the world does Dabra Melech mean? I'll say your name. The one thing we don't do, right? Dabra Melech makes one comment about the Megillah. I'll say your name. And that one comment about the Megillah is the one thing we don't do in the Megillah. Right? Dabra Melech has three words to say about the Megillah. I will say your name. Those are the last three words that I would describe the Megillah as, right? I would say, I'll praise you, I'll uh, say the story. What do you mean I'll say your name? That's the one thing we don't do. Says the son of the Grah. 
what is God's name? What's his name? Yud, then a hey, then a vav, and a hey. What does that mean? What does Yud Kevavke mean? We've spoken many times. God has a name, Yud Kevavke, and Elaikim. Elaikim means din. Or Elaikim has the numerical value of hateva, nature. Because nature runs by a din, by certain rules and regulations. Sunrise, sunset. Breathe in, breathe out. Right? The heart, the lungs contract, they expand, right? Circulation, there's certain immutable laws of nature. It's din, Elaikim. But Yudke Vavke is God could supersede nature. Right? He, he has, like we learned last week, He has the controls of the system. He could supersede it. If God wants, He could say, see split. Sun, don't set. Right? That's what we believe. So I would ask you, was God's attribute of Yud Kei Vav His ability to supersede nature, was it employed in the Purim miracle? What would you say? No. No. Not really. There's not one instance where God superseded nature. In fact, that's why God's name doesn't appear in the Megillah. <coughs> However, says the son of the Vilna Gaim, even though each event, God is not superseding the laws of nature, right? If you flip a coin one time and you get heads, you're not going to report it to the newspapers. Not, it's not a major story. Let's say you flip the coin twice and you get heads two times, also not going to do you any good. Three times, you flip the coin four times, heads, 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 now you're onto something. And if you flip it ten times, and you get heads all ten times, right? Now, now you could, you know, make some money. And if every time you flip the coin, you get heads every single time. So we can't point to any flip and say, wow, unbelievable. But the combination, the, the synergy, the conglomeration of the various details add up to something that you can't deny that, God, that something or somebody is pulling the strings. So says the son of the Vilna Gain, you know how I'm going to relate that the Purim miracle was not God using nature, but was God breaking the laws of nature? Asapra, I'm going to say the whole story. And if you say the whole story, yeah, if you say that Achashverosh summoned Vashti, you don't say halal about that, it's a normal thing. If you say Vashti didn't want to come, so, you know, it's not a nace that a wife doesn't listen to her husband, right? It's a derech hateva, right? If you say that, um, no, it's not funny. And, and if, you, um, if you say that, that Achashverosh wanted to make a rule, Right? That the man's in charge. I mean, that's an ace. That's, that, that's what the husband wants to do. And then, it's an ace that Achashverosh picked Esther. So you're going to point to any nace and say, Halal, Hareza Mechari Fumagadi. You're a blasphemer. You're, you're, uh, you're a happy kairos. The only way to relate that God supersedes nature is, there's only one way to do it. Asapra. You need to say the story from beginning to end. If you say the story from beginning to end, then the, the synergy of all the details is undeniable, right? It's something you can't just make away with. Yeah, this detail, that detail, that detail, every single thing, you say, ah, oh, coincidence, 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 coincidence. But the repetition of unlikely coincidences make it undeniable that it's Shimcha, that it's not Elohim. 
It's your special name. It's your designated name of your Kevavke. So although God's name doesn't... Why doesn't God's name appear in the Megillah? Where are you going to put it? Pasuk Aleph? No. You, you don't see God breaking laws in Pasuk Aleph. Pasuk Beis, Pasuk Gimel, Pasuk Dalet. You know where God's name appears? It's the whole story. It's the whole combination of details. That's why we'll, we'll uh, throw in what we were going to say for the end. I heard this from Rav Yonison Sachs in the name of Rav Usher Weiss, this small detail that I'm saying now, that we know all of Klai Yisrael, the Shulchanach brings down a minhag, that when you lay in the Megillah, you have to spread out the whole Megillah, right? You, you ever see how they lay in the Megillah? They don't just, you know, open up a little column. They spread out the entire thing from beginning to end. What are you spreading out the whole thing for? Right, the Shulchanach writes in number 22, Minhag Kol Yisrael, every Jewish person, right? Ashkenazim and Svardim. Shaha Koyre, Koyre, Upoishet Ki Igeras. You spread out the whole letter, Leharois Hanes, to show the miracle. Why? Because just to show one column, there's no per se menusa in this. This column, what's the miracle in this column? That column, what's the miracle in that column? It's the common, it's the entirety. It's the entirety of the story that declares Yud Kevavke, that this is God superseding nature. Let's read the words of Rabbi Avram Ben Agra inside. He says in number seven, he says, Ani Afarsem, I will publicize, and I will reveal, Hadvarim, the story, Kemoisha Avru, the way it happened, Ba'ifen Sheyiru, in a way that people will see, Shei Efshir Litloizeh El Arak Beshimcha Hagadol. That we are only able to hang this and hinge this on your great name. Hamiyuchad, your special name. Not Elohim. Hayadua, which is known. Shem Yudke Vavke. Shazah Hashem, that's the name Asher Humahave Havayos Kulam. That brings everything into being. Hu Asher Asalanu That is what performed this miracle. So if I ask you, is the Purim miracle natural? No. It's supernatural. So they say, which part was supernatural? No, no, you can't point to one part. It's, it's Kula. It's the combination of coincidences that speak for itself. Says Rabbi Avram ben Agra, I will relay all the details in a way that people will react that this is undeniable, this was the hand of God. So now, it's brought down from, uh, in the Sefer, Yemei HaPurim, of David Cohen, the Rosh Hashiva of Hebron Yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael, he says, very beautiful. He says, you know why we don't say halal on Purim? How are you going to say halal? You're going to praise God? For what? For what? People say, what are you saying halal for? For Vashti, for Haman, for Achaz. You can't, you can't say halal. That's like saying halal for the sunset. The only way to say halal is, what's the function of halal? To declare that God is breaking the laws of nature. You know what the only way to do that on Purim is? To tell the whole story. That's the only way to do it. The only way to declare that God breaking the laws of nature is to tell the whole story. So therefore, if you don't have a Megillah, you're going to say Hallel? You can't say Hallel. The only way to say Hallel on Purim is to say the whole story. You can't leave out any details. So what we're learning now is that the function of the details of the Megillah are to give us so many surprising and unpredictable coincidences that we are left with the, over, with the overwhelming feeling of this is God breaking the laws of nature. So if that's the case, we're authorized to ask 
about every single detail in the Megillah, what's it doing here? Right? Because the Megillah is not a history book. It's very interesting. At the end of the Megillah, right, uh, we have a Pasuk that says, If you want to know about the strength and the might, and the whole legend and the whole episode of the greatness of Mordechai, that the king raised him up. Behold, they are recorded in the Chronicles in the Chronicles of Media and Persia. What's the Megillah telling us? Right? It says, if you want to know the rest of the story, then you've got to look in the history books. So, well, why is Megillah telling us this? So it says Rabbi Cheskel Abramsky, you have it on your sheet in number 17. Now what the Megillah is telling us is that there are no details in the Megillah that are given for a historical background or historical perspective. No. Every detail in the Megillah is to magnify and enhance the miracle. And if you want to know what about the rest of the details, the historical details, for that you got to go to the library. But none of the details in the Megillah are giving you historical facts. Every detail of the Megillah the function of it is to magnify the miracle. So what we're going to do now is we're going to try to go through some of the seemingly uh, innocuous details of Megillah Esther, and we'll see they are not innocuous details. They are actually extremely critical in understanding the Pura miracle. Okay? So we'll begin with the beginning. The Megillah begins, right? How many Medinos? Sheva, right? What's the song? You want to sing? Sheva v'yesvim umeya medina. 127 medinas, right? I mean, who cares? And let's say it'll be 126, 124. I need to know how many, how many medinas Yisachashesh ruled over. I mean, is that important to know? What does that have to do with the Purim story? Right? So you'll tell me, oh, it's historical background. No. Historical background, the Megillah tells us. You want historical background? Look in the the Persian history books. Every detail in Megillah is for the function of Asapra, Shimcha, Liachai. So says Achsam Seifer. Very amazing. We know Achashverosh ruled over 127 Dinois, but the Gemara says he ruled over Malach Bekipa. He ruled over the whole world. Right? He ruled over the known world. The whole globe. Says Achsam Seifer. So if Achshash ruled over the world, then his decree against the Jewish people was against the entirety of Klai Yisrael. Now wait a second. Could the entire Jewish people be destroyed? No. 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 Hashem, right? It is impossible. It is impossible for the Jewish people to be destroyed, right? Don't worry. It's impossible for the Jewish people to be destroyed. Right? So, what about a small percentage of Klai Yisrael? There's no Haftacha. God never promised that a segment of Klal Yisrael won't be destroyed, unfortunately. We don't have such a guarantee. So says Achsam Soifer, you know what the most important fact in the Purim miracle was? That Achashverosh ruled over every single country. Because now that he ruled over every country, then a miracle is going to have to happen. Because if he only ruled over 126 countries, then Hashem is not required to save us. Because the decree is not against the entire Jewish people. You know why the Purim miracle happened? Detail number one is, HaMoylech 
You know why God had to save us? Because Achashverosh ruled over all 127 Medinites. So actually, what we would think is the most unimportant Pasuk, is the most important Pasuk of the Megillah. The most important thing to know is, from the very onset, don't worry, this is not going to happen, because Achashverosh rules over the world, and God is going to have to save us. Okay. Then we come to Pasuk Beis. It says, Kesheves Hamelech Achashverosh Al Kisei when Achashosh was sitting on his royal throne. So the Vilna God wants to know what, Achashosh was the only guy who sat on a throne? I mean, every king from time immemorial sat on a throne. So listen to what the Gra says. And this he quotes from the Targum Sheni. If anybody uh, has the Megillah Sester at home with Makroi Skadalos, in the back you have Targum Sheni. You have a second Targum. Targum Sheni says like this. You ever wonder, what in the world is Achashosh doing in Shushan? Right, if you ever learned, there's something called Tanakh. So if you ever opened up a Tanakh, mm-hmm. you would see that there's no such thing and nobody ever heard of Shushan. Yeah, what, what, what's Shushan? Until now, the only country we know of is Israel and Babel, Babylonia. Nebuchadnezzar is in Babel. All of a sudden, Achashverosh is in Shushan. You know, that would be like, you know, the capital. We're moving it from Washington, D.C. to, you know, kitchen sink, Idaho. I mean, what's Shushan? What, what, what's in Shushan? Right? Says the Gra. In the name of the Targum, there was a man by the name of Shlomo HaMelech who lived 400 years before Achashosh. He had a throne. Right? You know what his throne looked like? It had six steps. And on one step, he had a bear and a ox and a sheep and a lion and a peacock and other animals. I don't remember all the animals right now. Right? But a lot of different animals. Yeah, I have a picture at home I had of an artist's rendition. So in my family painted a portrait of Shlomo HaMelech's throne. Shlomo HaMelech died, and who inherited the throne? Rechavam. What happened after Rechavam? The Egyptian king came into Israel. His name was Sheshach. The first thing he's after is the throne. He takes the throne. He sits on the throne. The lion is really <coughs> angry at him. So the lion gets off the throne, bites him on the leg, cripples him. Sheshach is now Paro Nechai. He's now Paro the lame. He's a cripple. He was crippled by sitting on Shomel's throne. So then Nebuchadnezzar said, you know, maybe the Mala, maybe this lion, he had some personal agenda, you know, against, uh, personal bias against Paranachai. He didn't like the way his nose looked. But I'll sit on the throne and nothing will happen to me. So Nebuchadnezzar sits down on the throne and what happens? The lion says, you know, your, your leg tastes just as good as the last guy. And he bites Nebuchadnezzar, and he cripples Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar is now a cripple. So, there's a man by the name of Kairesh. Kairesh, the first thing he does is, he allows for the reconstruction of the second base of Mikdash. Then Kairesh said, I could sit on the throne. He sits on the throne, nothing happens. Achashirish is not a dummy. Achashirish knows he put a stop to the construction of the second Mason. He's not getting anywhere near the throne. Now, right now, the capital of his empire is in Babel. No one ever heard of Shushan. Shushan is some Sardarbana place in the other side of the Nobody ever heard of Shushan. So Achashverosh says, you know, but I like the throne. So he opens up the yellow pages and he looks, he turns, throne impersonators, throne replica makers. So he calls up, he gets an estimate, he doesn't like the first estimate, he doesn't like the second. The third one says, you know, we are professional throne replica makers. We are housed our factories in Shushan. 
Salzer says, how much is it going to cost? They give him the price, no problem. They make the throne. The problem is, the throne is too heavy. Salzer says, what good is the throne going to do me? I'm in a different country. He said, look, that's your problem. We made you the throne. So Achashverosh relocates the capital of the empire, says the Vilna Gaim, brought down from the Targum Sheni, from Babel all the way to Paras, to Shushan. Why? Says the Vilna Gaim, because who was living in Shushan? Mordechai. Mordechai. Ish, Yehudi, Haya. Mordechai is already there. So Hashem says, what, I'm going to make the tzaddik schlep to the Russia and Babel? I'll make the Russia schlep to the tzaddik. That's why it says, Kesheves HaMelech Achashverosh Al Kisimosa Asher B'Shushan He's the first guy who ever was sad in Shushan. No one ever, ever heard of Shushan before. And that's why it was the third year of his reign. It took three years to make the throne. Rabbi say, this is not the Vilna Goyen. He didn't make this up. This is Targum. This is, you know, Misinai. This is the way it happened. Okay. So says the Vilna Goyen, that's why we Paskin, you know, in the Mishnah, in the the Megillah, the Mishnah wants to know, how much of the Megillah do you have to read? So, you know, if it was up to us, we would say, uh, skip to the main part, right? Skip to the part where uh, Esther asks Achashverosh to kill Haman. Okay, no. So there's one man to Omar, if you take a look at the Mishnah Megillah, number 18. One man to Omar says, you read from Mishyehudi. One says from Haman. Rav Shemayichoy says from Balai Lahahu. We pass in, look at number 20. Halacha Lamaisa, Tzarech Lekroisa Kula. You have to read the whole Megillah. Why do you have to read the whole Megillah? I need to know Achashverosh was a ferret. He was drinking wine in Shushan for 187 days. What, I need to know that. What do I care about how much wine he drank? Says the Grano. You need to know the miracle. What's the miracle? The miracle is Hashem made Achashverosh transfer the entire capital from Babel all the way to Shushan. Why? Ishihudi Haya. Because he was there already. Mordechai was there. Well, we're going to be my triach, the tzaddik, to move. No, let the Russia come to the tzaddik. Okay? So that's another reason why you have to read the Megillah from the beginning, and that's why halach lamaisa, very important. Don't fall asleep in the middle of the Megillah. Yeah? You could fall asleep in the middle of my shir. I don't mind. I feel very good, you know. I get, I get a scarf for giving a yid, good, a good shluff, you know. It's, a, it's very admirable. But in the middle of the Megillah, no sleeping. If you miss one word, you know, you'll say. Why? Why not? Every single word enhances the miracle of the Megillah. Every single word. That's halacha. Okay. Now let's go on to another detail. The Gemara tells us, look at number 12, that we know Achashosh sent out two letters. The first letter is, right, that lihiyais kalish soyer bevesoy umedaber koshon amai. Right? What was the first letter? That the man's in charge. The man wears the pants in the house, Right? That's why some ladies like to wear pants, right? But the man is in charge. The man's, uh, you know, he's in charge. He tells the wife what to do. That's the first letter. That's the first letter. And then later on, in the middle of the Megillah, Achashverosh sends out another letter that the Goyim could kill Jews. So the Gemara says, if not for the first letter, the Goyim would have wiped us all out. Because imagine if the Goyim gets a letter in the mail, you know, on the 13th day of Adar, go wipe out the Jews. So the Goyim says, you think I'm looking at my calendar? Once I could, you know... The, the guy will, you know, you know, he's not looking at the calendar. But the guy didn't pay attention to the second letter. Because why? Because they already saw the guy is a fool. He's sending out a letter that the man's in charge of the house? No kidding. Right? This is not America. This is uh, Iran. 
you know, this is, and this is, you know, this is, this is Iran 2,000 years ago. You need to tell the men they're in charge? Right? Even 100 years ago, you don't have to tell them that. So, this shaita, this fool, right? He's sending out letters, the man's in charge? I mean, the guy's mashugana, right? What else does he want to tell? So when they got a letter to kill a Jew, they didn't pay attention. Says the Chassam Seifer, in the name of his Rebbe, the Hafla, why is the Megillah telling us that Achashverus was such a fool that he sent out letters that a man's in charge? What, what, what does that have to do with the Purim story? I need to know that he, that he is, you know, he's hallucinating, he's sending out ridiculous letters? Says the Hafla, this letter was one of the most important miracles in the Purim story. Why? Mordechai, open up! Who's there? Guard of the king. What do you want? The girl. The girl that lives in your house. The king wants her. So if I was Mordechai, I would take um, Esther, put her in the cellar. Uh, she's not home. Where is she? I don't know. She went, you know, she went shopping. She had to buy a pair of shoes. What do you mean she... I don't, switch shoe store. I don't know. What do you mean? I have to know what shoe... And when's she coming home? I don't, she doesn't tell me. She's gallivanting. You know, she's, she lives her own life. Why didn't Mordechai do that? Why didn't Mordechai tell, take Esther, put her under the table, and tell the guards that, uh, you know, he doesn't, have, uh, he doesn't have control over this girl? You know why? Because it was against the law. Because Achashosh just instituted a ridiculous law that the man is in charge. So now, when the guards of Achashosh come and say, hand over Esther, Mordechai has to know exactly where she is. He can't make up a Baba Maisa. Oh, I don't know where she is. She's off on her own. That's a, that's a, a legal offense. That's a federal crime, not to know where the girl is. So the ridiculous letter that Achashosh sent out, that the man is in charge, that was the only reason how they were able to take Esther. Okay. Then we come to another very uh, interesting uh, part of the Megillah. You know, in the beginning of the Megillah, we find Achashverosh is very powerful, right? He rules over 127 Medinas. He did it very quickly. Right? We don't find that he, you know, fought against the whole world for years and years and years. It took him a long time. It took him very quickly. He must have been very diplomatic. He must have been very smart. He sweet-talked all these countries into being under his dominion. So Achashverosh obviously is powerful. He's clever. He's wealthy. Right? Now, would you say that he would be seduced easily by a woman? No. Because we know Vashti was very beautiful. And yet when Vashti doesn't want to come to Achashverosh, he stands up for the honor of the Malchus, he stands up for his dignity, and he says, off with her head. But what do you mean? You love her, you're in love with this woman. Nah, Achashverosh is not... uh, Fickle enough to fall for that. He's not going to fall for this lady. If he feels that somebody is, you know, undermining his authority, that's it. So let me ask you a question. Later on in the Megillah, when Esther comes and says, Oh, please, please, spare the Jews. So why, why does Achashosh listen to her? So we would have said, Ah, oh, you know, she sweet-talked him into it. No. He's not the type of guy that's going to make himself look bad by a woman sweet-talking him. Because we already saw, when he doesn't like what the woman does, he kills her. So how was it that Esther was able to persuade Achashosh to rescind another letter? Says the Malbum, it was Me'es Hashem. It was miraculous. 
In other words, the Malbim says, you know why we have to know that Achashverosh killed Vashti? So that later on in the Megillah, that Achashverosh doesn't kill Esther? We realize what a miracle that is. Because this man doesn't care how beautiful his wife is. If he is going to look bad, he'll kill her instantly. So why do we need to know that Achashverosh killed Vashti? So that when he listens to Esther, we realize there's something miraculous about that. And then finally, we come to the end of the Megillah, and it says in Parak Yud, Pasuk Aleph, Vayosam HaMelech Achashverosh Mas. Achashverosh put taxes on the land. I mean, who cares that we need to know he put taxes on the land? What, what, what kind of tax? Was it income tax? Federal tax? Social security? I mean, uh, this, these are important details. The Achashverosh put taxes on the land? What does that do with the perm story? How, what? Health insurance, right? 1% tax. What? 1% tax. What do we have to know that? Achashverosh care. I mean, what, what exactly was it? So, says the Briskarov, very important. Thanks for laughing at that. It wasn't that funny, but yeah. And the Grizz asks, the Grizz asks like this, why do I have to know Achashverosh put a tax? So he says, think about what happened. Achashverosh sent out a message that, oh, right, remember when I told you that you could kill the Jews a few months ago? Now, by the way, the Jews could kill their enemies. So, you know, think about the stability in his uh, empire, right? One week he wakes up, you know, Jews get killed. And then the next week he says, oh, no, just joking. The Jews kill their enemies. So you would expect there to be a major uprising all over the empire. I mean, this guy's crazy. What kind, of, what kind of emperor is this? And yet, we would expect the Jews to be in mortal danger. The enemies would gather to attack them. And we find just the opposite. Not only were there no uprisings, not only was his uh, government not weakened, he's stronger than ever. He's able to impose greater taxes. The Jews have greater security. Why? That's all part of the miracle. That despite the fact that Achashverosh completely reneged on the letter, nevertheless Hashem strengthened his reign. So Rabbi said what we're learning is that on Purim, we are technically obligated to say hello. But the definition of Hallel is to declare that God is acting supernaturally. The only way to say a proper Hallel on Purim is to recount all the various details. This detail, that detail, each detail on its own. Maybe perhaps you could say, oh, maybe this was a coincidence, coincidence. But when you take the whole Megillah and you spread out the whole Megillah like the Halacha requires, then we are fulfilling that, that which the Pasuk says in Tehillim, Asapra Shimcha Le'echa. We are relating by saying the story that this is certainly not Elohim. This is not, this is not Din. This is not Minasim. This is not Derech HaTeva. This is Shimcha. This is the Yud Kevavke. And that's why the Halacha dictates Kairi as Kol HaMegillah. You have to read the whole Megillah. You spread out the whole Megillah. And that is why we don't say Halal Amporim. Kriyasa He Halela. Reading the Megillah. That is Halal. Have a wonderful evening.